As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Ranking the best drivers of Season 8. Recalling the top moments of the season and a certain matter of some pre-season bragging rights. All this and a lot more coming up in today's The Race Formula E podcast. Hello, I'm Andrew Vandenberg and this is the Season 8 Review Special. And if you could see the script, you'd notice the use of an Oxford comma in the intro. Uh, so to help us look back, uh, we have a very special guest and friend of the show, and also Mercedes EQ team manager, Gary Paffett. Gary, great to have you back with us. Uh, yes, thank you for having me again. Um, yeah, you never know if you're going to get invited back after doing it once or twice. But yeah, it's, uh, it's great to be here, and yeah, interesting to see how Sam did with his predictions, to be honest. That's the most important thing, I think. Oh, well, see, this is why we have you back, because that is the perfect segue into the next bit. Oh, there you go. Is, uh, before we talk about how the season's gone, we've got a little clip here uh, from our preview show. Uh, listen, and we'll listen to what Sam and I had to say. Uh, so can <laughs> we play that now? Leads us with the final question, of course, and that's teams and drivers champions. So um, no points for originality on any of this. And I'm going to go for a split. I think um, after... I, I, It was in many ways the best driver of last season I think the bad luck is behind him now so I think Stoffel will win the championship but I got a feeling that Jaguar might take the team's title so one each sitting on the fence there <laughs> yep very comfortably I, and, and I'm going to do exactly the same I think uh, uh, Gary, Gary just um, hit mute for a second I'm going to go for Mitch Evans to win the title and I'm going to go for Mercedes to retain their team's title so uh, yeah dragged it back for you there Gary uh, if only I put my money where my mouth was, Sam. Uh, anything to say? I think we need independent verification that that was me. It didn't sound like me. So, um, yeah, not convinced on that. No, note to Johnny, delete all trace of this section, please. <laughs> <laughs> so, Gary, a second straight title win for Mercedes EQ. And given it was a team's final season in Formula E, I'm guessing the celebrations went on for a little while afterwards. Yeah, a double-double. Um uh, just just amazing i mean uh you know it's 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 very much cliche but you know winning winning a championship is one thing but defending it is is something else and and honestly a lot harder than winning it the first time but 
I think, yeah, the, the, achieve, the achievement for the team to, to go and defend both championships um, was extraordinary. And it was a very different championship. You know, up until season seven, we all know, uh, especially the latter season, so season six, season seven, the qualifying format just shaped the way of the championship with the randomness of the group qualifying. You know, we went into the last last round in, in season seven with, I think it was nine drivers that could win the championship or something, which is is good fun. You know, it's good fun and it, and it, and it makes it, uh, well, to- it actually makes it quite confusing, to be honest, when you have that many people going in with a chance to win the championship. This year, this year it felt a lot more like um, a, a traditional top-level motorsport championship. You know, you had to be consistent. You had to deliver consistently. And it was a very different championship to what Season 7 was. So uh, for us to to come out on top in both championships, again, was just incredible, really. Yeah, we've often commented on that. You know, we saw a much purer title fight. And for most of the season, it was a four-slash-five-way fight. And obviously, you have a much greater insight on this. Just how good a job did Stoffel do? It was incredible. We saw it. We saw it in season seven, and honestly, in season seven, um, I think Sam's written a lot about it as well. How unlucky Stoffel was in season seven. You know, there was there was a lot of things that went they went against him, um, and he was he was generally quite unlucky in season seven. So for him, he just built on what he'd already started in 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 the in the earlier seasons, and was just was the class of the field the whole year. Not. No, not necessarily. He didn't have the most most race wins. You know, um, he was just consistent. And in the races, you know, he 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 was very very rarely made mistakes. His his execution of the strategy that we as a team wanted him to do was was exceptional. Um, you know, when we when we told him that you know, you've got to pass this car now or your race is is done for, he would just do it. It was done. It wasn't a question. Can he do it? It was just done. So his um, the the key to Stoffel was consistent performance. I say not always um, the fastest, but very consistent. Um, and his execution in the races. I think uh, Sam will know. Sam knows his stats better than anyone else. But the the run of races that Stoffel went through of getting to the getting to the group stage of qualifying, then oh sorry, getting to the dual stage and then losing the first dual was was extensive. So you know. He wasn't perfect. It wasn't the fastest car all the time, but just his his racecraft was the thing that that effectively won in the championship. As Gary says, Sam, we've spoken on this pod uh, a few times about what a good slash unlucky job Stoffel did in in season seven. So was this season the case of just desserts? You could say that, yeah. I suppose because he's always been at the sharp end, as as Gary said, even in that sort of madhouse wild west of 2021 he he probably should have won it that season and um you know if he hadn't been clattered into a few times he would have done but actually i prefer to see it as stoffel he's the i think the best all-round driver delivering results consistently and he was you know i think if it hadn't been for that sort of crazy tombola style season of uh 2021 he, he would have done that in 21 he did on what he did in 22 in 21 and, and probably have won the title then there'll be those who who look at his stats of of one win this season to evans's and Moltara's four and go well you know did he actually deserve it nothing could be further from the truth in terms of the fact that he did deserve it van dorn i think he fully deserved it because he just didn't put a foot wrong at all all season. Yes, there were a few, you know, difficult qualifying performances. 
over 16 races, he scored in 15 of those races, and the majority of them were what you call big points. The only race that he didn't score in was Mexico, and it wasn't his fault. He got turfed off by Degrassi. So, you know, that's that's just inherent title, um, just form, isn't it? I mean, it's just you have to put together championships based around what the the max the maximum you can do on the day and that's exactly what he did the week after the race i i ranked all the drivers which is you know it's such a pain in the ass to do to be honest with you but we oh, all the journalists love but, doing that because no one <laughs> like hauls you over the coals afterwards well, you? some, you'd be amazed how, how many some do but um you know doing it straight after the end of the season is 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 another thing which is difficult i i i put Mitch Evans ahead of Van Dorn, and I know that will have you know raised some eyebrows. But why did I do that? Well, my rationale was that that Mitch was in overall the less competitive package, and he extracted some amazing things from it. But you know, on reflection now, with a bit of time passed from Seoul, and I hadn't really considered this as much as I probably should have, Stoffel was driving for a manufacturer that was leaving at the end of that season, um, and and there's. You know, there are multiple things within that that make it all the more impressive. We saw how Nick, his teammate Nick DeVries, his season was almost the opposite of Stoffel's. You know, there were mistakes that there wasn't, you know, there was no hint of the consistency that Stoffel could deliver. And I think that makes it even, uh, you know, an even greater achievement for Van Dorn to have won the championship. I mean, as it happened, it made you know, little difference in the sense of Mercedes leaving the, the championship at the end of the season. I think, you know, that's that's underappreciated when you appraise the drivers a bit. In a very insipid, anemic and perfect world, Evans and Van Dorn would be top, but that would just be a bit crap, wouldn't it? You know, you've got to have a number one and number two. So um, overall, even though Gary won't agree, I stand by Mitch being ever so just a tiny, tiny, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to do a top 10 or whatever, or whatever we did, um, I would say that, you know, Stoffel was 100% a deserving champion and he showed how you win a title. He did it in a really, you know, just a really comprehensive way at the end of the day. Gary, before you set Sam straight about who should have been top of his list, um, as he mentioned, the team knew even before the start of the season it was going to be its last. And I guess that could have gone two ways, right? It could have given people you know, a really demotivating uh, experience and make them sort of uh, wonder what's going on or give them extra resolve to go out on a high. I'm guessing that it was very much the latter. Uh, yeah, I've been in this situation before. Um, in in uh, 2018, we had the same thing in in, uh, in DTM um, in, with Mercedes leaving the championship. And um, I won the championship that year and Mercedes were incredibly strong, which um, was a bit of a surprise to... Others and a little bit of surprise to us how competitive we were, but I had the same feeling in the team as I did as I did that year that everybody's focus. Um, there was no one; no one was demotivated. Every, everyone was out to say, "Let's show everybody what we can do. Let's show everybody what this team can do." You know, we're going to go out on a high. Although there was obviously some uncertainty. Okay, Ian, Ian James did a fantastic job of making sure the team felt secure and 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 telling people how what the future was looking like and making sure people knew as much as they could about what was going on. But with regards to the racing and 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 uh, the job in hand, everybody was was a hundred percent focused all of the time, just on on getting this championship. And, and defending our championships, and um, that's that's what key. And as I say, the, the frame of mind was let's just show people what we can do. Um, 
yeah so which 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 makes me incredibly proud because no one you know ever put their head down everybody was just uh, was just you know completely focused all of the time and and operationally um as as a team i've never seen anything like it i mean we we had we, we didn't have from from the the engineering team you can say that they did a on some weekends didn't do a great job because we didn't have the the fastest car all weekend but operationally the the mechanics and that side of car build was exceptional i mean we didn't have one one problem with the car the whole season either car so it was um very impressive sam as gary said there was a, a double double for the team is it fair to say that mercedes eq raised the bar informally um it's a really good question it, my uh my gut feeling is yes but there's a bit of a big caveat coming at the end so let's see how this goes <laughs> good luck. Um, yeah, they, they, absolutely they wrote that you know they raised the bar because in in three seasons as you said four titles a double double that that's conclusive proof right there isn't it in gen 2 they were equal the most winning operation with ds cheetah who took the season 5 and season 6 um titles themselves Raising that bar technically, sportingly, operationally, as, as Gary said, in this business, it, it, it's hard to gauge, but they definitely brought a very slick, amazingly well-prepared, um, not just a method, but like a sensibility to Formula E, which is different to DTM. It is different to sports cars. It's different to junior single-seater racing. Like everyone, they had they, they had a few hiccups in the, you know, significant hiccups in the early days in that first season, both with HWA, as you know, Gary was a part of the driving squad then, and in that first season as Mercedes EQ too. But pound for pound, they had what I thought was a really excellent team. And what I what I liked about them was that they they went racing also with all those attributes, but also in a really good spirit. There's there's a good human or racer side to that team, and, and I'm sure that'll continue with with Neil McLaren next season. You know, Gary Apart, Ian James, I thought was a revelation as a team principal. When I, when I heard that they had this this marketing guy who, by the way, has an engineering background too, but had come from immediately from an engi- um, from a marketing sort of side, I thought, you know, oh no, this is this is going to be. I'm not sure this is the way to go. But he's Ian James is a proper racer, and he and he loves Formula E, hence why he's you know he's staying with with it you know i'm sure that he could go and he could have continued his career at uh, at daimler and 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 you know gone on to to a big career there but he's he, he's gone with what i presume is his heart on this one and and fair play to him for that um and i also like the fact that he and some of the team could kind of get get lost a little bit in the passion of it which you know for me just says it's a racing team at soul this team i just noticed and i don't know what gary thinks about this I, I could. It was palpable. The, the nerves were palpable in that team. You know, I, I spoke to a couple of team members on the Thursday and Friday before the race, and you could sense it. Soul was fraught for Merck. You know, they they got the job done. They got the deal done, but there was a lot going on beneath the surface there, and it was it was twitchy for um for a few days. That's for sure. Before Soft Stoffel secured it, for, for me, that's a it's a positive because if you have a soulless team that's just a winning machine. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's just a bit soulless, isn't it? You just it takes the shine off what they achieve a little bit. So, but you know, here's that caveat I mentioned, and I'm, I'm not going to dwell on it too much. But Mercedes EQ are leaving Formula E now as the financial regs come in for for next season. Ian James has always attested that he helped significantly to fight for those before Mercedes left in August of 2021. And um, you know, you take his word at that. But Mercedes, 
I think it's pretty common knowledge, had the biggest budget in Formula E. It hired some big names with big experience, and it had the best of everything. They knew how to spend and that, on what they spent it on, and they did that very well, which is all part of the package to to get a successful operation. It's far from a you know, it's, um, it's far from a criticism. It's just stating a fact. So if they hadn't have achieved success, then there would have been some serious questions, I think. But this level of success, I think, you know, all power to them. They they converted what they had. Teams like DS, Tachita, Venturi, and Envision. They're on a fraction of the budget that Merck were on, and they sometimes beat them. But I guess that's the beauty of Formula E, isn't it? That's that's why we love Formula E, because they're able to do that. But ultimately, this is the same story in just about every form of motorsport that we see. So it should take none of the plaudits away at all from that. But that you know that was the fact. But you know you've got to have the you have the budget, you spend it, and you uh, you get the rewards. So I get your point, um, but. What I will say is that um, Mitch Evans, you know, you, you said about uh, Stoffel having the best equipment um, and clearly Edo, after winning four races, I mean, it's exactly the same car. So the equipment was very, was very good. But Mitch Evans won four races as well, which shows that that car was pretty handy. Um, you know, Formula E cars are really, really basic machines you know you don't go to to monaco or another circuit with a high downforce or a low downforce setup you you go with the same car every weekend and and you tweak it a bit here and there the one thing that i have found that was different from from us to other teams other other teams and particularly jaguar and some other teams they they would go to an event um and say our car doesn't work very well here you know and have a bad weekend and that's what that, that that's what made the difference for me is that we went to every race weekend expecting that we should be at the front because there's no reason why our car doesn't work here because it's not massively different. You know, the circuits are a bit different here and there. But Jaguar seemed to conceive that they weren't going to be competitive at a race before they got there. And I think for me that's what the difference was because you see they were quite up and down. Now some circuits they just didn't seem to turn up. And I think that that's what, what made the difference. I don't I don't believe that their car couldn't be as competitive at every race. Um, there's no reason in Formula E with kind of you're not developing a car um, during the season. You know, it's the same car from start to finish, basically. Yeah, so uh, I know exactly what you're saying there because it's not like you're going from a super speedway to a street course, are you? They're, they're all within a very small percentage. The average speed is the same. Yeah, there are some differences. Yeah, there are some. Berlin's a bit different. Marrakesh is a bit different, but not wildly different, to be honest. You know, they're all they're all very, very much, um, very much the same. So, I um I, w- I would say that there was you know we'll we'll come to the drivers in a minute, but I think that you're right. It's very close between between the two i think basically between three of them to be honest but um i'll let you i'll let you choose mitch if you want to if it makes you feel better (laughs) (laughs) that's a good good right to reply gary yeah that's fair enough rather rather, rather than having to go back on your initial report (laughs) after the race you won't have to do that (laughs) (laughs) thanks very much over the course of the season despite Jaguar sort of conceding that there were some races they weren't going to be good at. Were they the the people you always had the the closest eye on? Were they the ones you considered to be the closest rivals? No, no. For most of the year, it was it was Venturi and um, Edo. To be honest, um, you know, he he had a poor end to the season. I mean, the last few races, New York wasn't great, and then London was awful. L- London, London, Edo didn't turn up basically 
you know, he just wasn't just wasn't there. Um, Lucas Lucas had two two really good races, and, and Edo didn't turn up. So, to be honest, for for the majority of the season, it was it was Venturi and and, and Edo that was the biggest threat. Um, obviously, Mitch was always there. Um, always there or thereabouts and always a threat. But for us, it was it was Edo more than anyone else. Interesting. And, we, and sort of takes my script slightly off a detour, Sam. But I was going to ask if when the cold light of day, when Jaguar and Mitch Evans look back at this, should they feel that this was an opportunity missed or be pleased that they were right in the heart of the title fight? Yeah, it's, it's a tough one to answer that on on their behalf. My feeling is, actually knowing how competitive Mitch Evans is, if he doesn't win a Formula E title, it will be an absolute travesty. You know, he, he, the worst case scenario is he looks back at the last two years and goes, oh, you know, that, that they were my chances. Um, I'm convinced he will win at least one, possibly several, because he, he's an excellent driver. And I think, you know, Jaguar will have a really strong package in Gen 3. I, I think elements within Jaguar are happy to be contenders. But likewise with Evans, that their tech leader, Phil Charles is, you know, immensely competitive and wants that title just, you know, probably as much as as Mitch does at the end of the day. Ditto the whole lot of them, you know, James Barkley, Greg Wilson, Gary Eckerall, the whole team. I mean, that's that's why you're there. It's it's to win, it's to win the titles. Um, if you're unsure what it means to to Jaguar and what, what it means or what it meant to them, you know, take a look at the, if you've not seen it, the post-race footage of Mitch's performance engineer, Christina Manas Fernandez, I think I've got a name right. Hopefully I have after soul, uh, the soul victory on the Saturday, you know, it's probably one of the best bits of footage you'll see all season, really uh, emotive stuff. And that's how much it means to them. So, you know, Jaguar are in danger of being stamped with a bridesmaid tag, potentially, you know, that's two years now, where they've just they've just missed out for a you know a, a variety of reasons, but ultimately reliability reasons. Um, they were close in twenty one and twenty two, but but both challenges, you know, they, it's it you know it wasn't it wasn't luck, was it? You know, they it was a reliability issue on both if on both counts at Berlin and and London, but. <laughs> You know, would would it have made a massive difference? Probably wouldn't. You know, I think Van Dorn prob- would have won it anyway. I think. Um, so, how did Jaguar feel about it? I think. I think they've they've matured to the extent now in Formula E where they should be setting their sights on titles. They've ticked off every other milestone. They've got a great team. They've got some great continuity with their drivers and their their technical. Their, their engineering side so yeah i think i think they'll be ever so slightly disappointed but they'll get over get over that disappointment very quickly because the gen 3 development program is just so full-on and they've been doing that since june so they wouldn't have had much time to uh you know to feel those those pangs of pain which i'm sure they felt after london gary with um you thinking that you know, Mortara and, and Venturi were ultimately your your closest rivals. Then, how does that work with them sharing the same powertrain? It must be sure that sort of back to the old DTM days where you're, you're fighting uh, inter team battles most of the time. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, from the very from the very start, we had a very um, open and sharing relationship with Venturi. Um, you know, with regards to to data and feedback and and a cooperation level that that you don't see anywhere else in the Formula E. So. We opened the door for them to be very competitive, um, which at the start we we saw as a, a, a you know something that helped us as well, obviously. Um, and and through this year, it helped as well. You know, when they're competitive, you know, it helps us to see what they're doing. And the same uh, when it goes the other way. 
but it does bring you um, a, a level of competition that we had this year where all of the all the four cars are very competitive. So, you know, we invited that on ourselves, and, and um, we were very much in danger of getting beaten by, a, by our, our customer team. Um, but, you know, the, 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 the thing is, if, you know, if, if you do get beaten by them, they've just done a better job than you because you effectively have the same, the same equipment. So we, we kind of relished the challenge um, and, and, you know, our guys in the end stepped up and managed to, managed to deliver. But it was a real, a real challenge for us to, to, to beat them and early in the season especially. Um, they, they certainly were uh, more competitive than us consistently. How much time was spent sort of looking at what they were doing and how they were doing it and trying to work out where you were or you just a lot more single-minded on the, uh, your car performance? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very difficult to do that. I mean, you, you can review post-event, but to, to, to look at something during an event and, and try going that direction if it's different, you're, you're a step behind already because they're, they've done, you know, if you look at their car setup and it's different to ours, they've probably already moved on from that. And made another change so you're always going to be one step behind so it's interesting especially post event to look at what they've done and maybe you can learn that for the next event but during the event you have to just you know stay strong and be confident with what you're doing in your process and, and carry on and then um do the best that you can like i say, and then review after the event if there's anything we can learn sam despite not winning any races uh Verm was fourth in the championship i'm not really sure what to make of his season um did he make the most of his opportunities didn't win any races so should he had a bigger say in the outcome of the title mm, not sure it was it was disappointing for 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 jeff definitely i mean because you you see in his body language he's one of those people that just straight away you see his body language and i think after Marrakesh, there was a notable um, change in that body language, and you know, I'm not sure what it was. He, you know, when asked, he, he didn't give clear answers, and, and the presumption was that that maybe he was just a bit um, a bit spent. Uh, don't forget, he's doing a dual program with the the Peugeot Hypercar program, which started racing sort of plumb in the middle of that really busy period to the end of, towards the end of the season. Before that, had come all the development testing too. There was something amiss, and I'm not sure what it was. New York was a mess. You know, Gary talked about Edo's problems in London. Jeff had the same in, in New York. You know, it was it, it just a variety of issues that spiralled and unravelled and just delivered nil point, which at that stage of the title fight effectively removed him from that, that gang of four of drivers that we that we've become accustomed to through most of the season. Some in the team that I spoke to noticed that he seemed a little irascible at New York and perhaps part of that could have been what I just described with the, the hypercar program. And you know, don't forget these guys are in the sim preparing for EPRIs for, you know, often a couple of days at least. And there's so much preparation that goes into it. Um, you know, they don't just rock up for a day at each each circuit each epre there's a lot that goes on before them so um i i think it just detuned him a bit and he he just wasn't as sharp as he usually is or, or could have been or he was earlier in the season because he had a fine start to the season and it was van dorn-esque wasn't it you know the consistency that he was showing it's a shame because i thought the f- that first half of the season he was just so strong ultimately that ds e tense fe21 model when you look back at it although it was quick and it was there or thereabouts it it, it, it wasn't the best car that the ds automobiles have produced it only won you know only got a haul of two races in pretty much two seasons not not two full seasons but you know a season and three quarters let's say which when you stack it up against 
the the hole that Merck got and Jags got in terms of victories. It's it's quite a poor strike rate. So, you know, giving Jeff the benefit of the doubt, maybe he just didn't have quite the tools that that Merck and and Jags had, and um, and it looked like he was going to make the most of it, and then just dropped off in the final those final um, three double headers, and 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 he was done for really from that point on. Gary, you had a, a long, successful career and had a consistent level of success all the way through that. But someone like Jeff's one of the elder statesmen in the series now. How hard is it to remain at that competitive edge over a, a number of years? It is challenging. And, you know, I, I had a long career and, yeah, sort of my DTM career bookended with championships in, in at the start of 2005 and then, and then 18. But there was a bit of a roller coaster in between. And I had, I had some tough years where... Um, it didn't quite didn't quite work out. It didn't quite go as I'd like it to be. And 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 you know, you, the the thing is with this level of of motorsport, you have to be a hundred percent focused and on it all the time, and want to have that desire to to work um, to work hard all of the time to get the best results. And I think, as Sam said, if the moment you start doing another program it does take a bit of focus off and 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 you're not you lose the last you know few hundreds a tenth things like this and then and then it just kind of spirals and then you start to struggle so it's um for me it's all about the kind of desire really to to want to to work hard and put the work in that's what's the most important thing and that's what you need to be able to do uh, talking of elder statesman, Sam, uh, Lucas de Grassi ended a long winless streak in London. And actually, that second half of the season, he was a, a regular presence at the sharp end. Um, was there any reason for this other than it just taken a while to get used to a new team after being at Audi for so long? I don't think so, no. I think even for someone with as forceful a personality as Lucas, it, it's always going to be hard to come into a team that's got a settled technical squad, a, you know, a strong driver at the other, in the other side of the, the garage um, that's been there for a few years. So it's always going to take a while, no matter who you are, if you're a previous champion or an established star. It, you know, he, he got there, as you said, he got there. It took him a while. And, and once he got qualifying licked, he was a real contender, especially in um, those last three doubleheaders, New York, London and Seoul, who I thought he was terrific. It was like, you know, it's like watching the old old Degrassi. Um, prior to that, it got a bit spiky, didn't it, with that excellent um, butcher of Formula E quote from Mortara at Monaco. <laughs> and, by, and by the way, Vida B, little, you're going to have to dock my wages here because actually um, it was the excellent Alice Holloway who got that quote and not me. So uh, there you go. I bought the quote offer and uh, and got that in my piece. So, uh, Alice, uh, London. She's on Sam next time. <laughs> little nod to Alice there. She did, she did really well to get there. But actually, Lucas proved that I think still on his day, he's, he's so bloody good. You know, he's, he's a really tough, tough campaigner. And, you know, you, you don't get past him easily as, um, as, as several drivers found out again to their cost this season. Let's say you can still – should we keep the butcher analogy going for one last um, one last sentence? I think, Go and strain it to every last uh, sinew. Yeah, I think, you know, he's still able to carve his way through the field. And, uh, <laughs> he, you know, he can still hand out the chops to some of his competitors. Oh, but, uh, yeah, I'll stop there. But, you know, I mean, seriously, I think, I think part of him – might look at 2022 though and be slightly rueful that he didn't get into that title fight in, in amongst that gang because I think if he'd have had some stronger points at the front end of the season um, you know he had non-scores at Mexico, Rome and Berlin you know if he'd have got some 
you know, two of those three, if he'd have got some points, he could have been right there coming into those last three double headers potentially. So that hurt his cause. But at the end of the day, he knew himself he was only what for one season only at that team. He'd already signed for Mahindra. So, you know, it was a, it was a bit of a strange one for him to come into knowing that he'd be, be vacating that seat anyway at the end of the season. Gary, as uh, Sam says, he's off to Mahindra and there's rumours that he's going to have a bit more of a role in the running the team rather than just being a driver. They're getting an amazing asset there, aren't they? Uh, yeah, his, his experience and his um, just understanding, technical understanding of, of the sport in, in general is really going to help Mahindra. Um, you know, I know from from you know from my point of view, being a driver and coming into a, a senior role within a team massively helps the whole team. Um, we're seeing this. We're seeing this a bit more regularly now in in, in Formula E, especially. It's kind of started with myself. You know, James Rossiter, Jerome, people that have, that have driven their drivers that have come into to senior positions in a team. I think it really helps a lot, and and no doubt Lucas will, um, you know, will help Mahindra sort of grow and improve as a team um, without without fail. Another driver who had an excellent end to the season was Jake Dennis. Uh, Sam, he's just extended his contract with Andretti, which seems more than well deserved. Hundred percent. He was as good as, if not better, than he was in in twenty twenty one, and and that is going some because he was sensational in his rookie campaign. His his story actually is one of the, I think, the feel good narratives of the last couple of seasons in international motorsport, and and proves that talent just needs a chance, doesn't it? It's, it's a great story, but but the way he has taken that chance and um, developed into one of the best half dozen drivers in Formula E, in in my opinion. Is, is sensational. He, he had his off days. I mean, most drivers do. Um, Stoffel didn't, but he was pretty much the only one who didn't during the season. But Berlin was quite poor for Dennis, but mostly he was by far and away outperforming his teammate, a, a rookie himself, Oliver Askew. And for the want of a better phrase, you know, he was he was just handing some other drivers their own asses on occasions. I mean, he was just fantastic in London. He, he just owned the whole weekend, and he probably should have done the double there. You know, there's a, there's a couple of small errors in that second race where where Lucas beat him, but I think on pace, he he probably should have won that and done the double, a rare double. Uh, you know, it was it was quite serene on the track. You know. I would say most of his season was really impressive again, but it was it was a slightly different picture off it. You know, there was a bit of a there was a, there was a bit of um, posturing off it as as to his future, which only kind of really came out once he'd uh, committed to Andretti, and he got a bit uh, himself and his management got a bit dazzled by by some approaches from other teams. It's too simplistic to say this this might have distracted him from from his season. It, uh, palpably didn't because he he delivered on so many occasions um and at the end of the uh, at the end of july it was pretty much all done and dusted and and confirmed a few weeks ago that he was staying with avalanche andretti i've just got a funny feeling that dennis could have a you know he could he, he could have a tilt at the title in 23 i think he's He's that capable of doing it. It's a, it's an early call, I know, but I Bold. think the Porsche apparently the Porsche the Porsche's doing lots and lots of clicks in um, a testing period that's that's been a bit as we've reported a bit fraught in uh, in how much mileage you can do initially anyway, and I'm hearing that Porsche are, are doing a fair bit. So 
yeah, I, I think Dennis will be a threat to that works team for sure with the Andretti, with the Andretti guys, and he's obviously got he's got Andre Lotterer as well, and some great experience beside him. So it's going to be fascinating to see how those two um, how those two uh, get on in the same team next season. Uh, Gary, like you, Jake's a former Autosport BRDC award winner. Uh, what have you made of the, the way he's established himself informally? Uh, like Sam says, it's been uh, incredible, really. You know, he he uh, yeah was. Um, was a great British young driver coming through um, and then kind of went off the grid a bit and went into, um, you know, GT racing, went in, did some uh, DTM with, uh, with Aston Martin. Um, and then, you know, I'm happy to say myself that I was surprised when he got signed to, uh, to come to Formula E. I, I didn't think it was the right choice, but he's been a revelation. You know, he, he really is um, really yeah super quick and, and yeah, on some weekends, especially like London, pretty much unbeatable apart from obviously getting that, that second place instead of another win. So he's um, he's been really impressive, really impressive. I think that, um, again, it's like you look at the season and there's a couple of events where he wasn't great. Was it the car? Was it him? You know, it's difficult to know. So clearly the, the package was there. Maybe they got their head around the car a bit better at the end of the year and, and, and he was able to, to extract the full performance. But I think that um, he definitely has the pace to to challenge for a championship. Um, the question is, does he have the consistency at all of the events? But I guess we'll wait and see. But no, certainly he's done a he's done a, he's had a fantastic couple of seasons. Yeah, it's great to see uh, him really coming of age. Um, Sam Robin Fryne, seventh overall, strong at the start of the year, strong at the end of the year, nowhere in the middle. What happened there? <sighs> yeah, it's a good question. I'm, I'm labelling this section stranger friends. Uh, that's a bit, uh, oh my. <laughs> that is exactly the, the, the response it deserved, Gary. <laughs> I had to, I had to get creative on the pronunciation there, but you know where I'm coming from. Um, yeah, his season was a, a genuine season of two halves, wasn't it? Quick, consistent, um, pretty happy. You know, pretty happy go lucky Robin in the first half, confused and mostly, and also ran in the second. Why? Um, it's complicated. Uh, you know, there were some braking issues, but many other drivers had the same things with material. Stoffel had it, didn't he, at, at Marrakesh? And, you know, he started to chase his tail at a few races. But, you know, expanding upon what was going on behind the scenes, and I alluded to this in the um, review of the drivers as well, that relationship between driver and team pretty much broke down around the Berlin Epre time. Envision was a team in transition anyway from earlier in the season. It's, it's had some changes in the, the technical staff. Um, Chris Gorn has, has retired now. Uh, Mike Lugg has come into into the, to a similar position there. And, and there were several personnel changes in and around Mexico and Rome, but the results were still coming. You know, Robin got a double podium in Rome. He was he was up there in the in the title fight in the early stages, but it didn't seem. It just, I don't know, you get a feeling for these things. It just didn't seem the same happy-go-lucky axis there between driver and, and team. And then, you know, when, when you, you know, you get a bit nosy, which is part of my job to find out what was going on, um, I think it was pretty common knowledge around Berlin, just before Berlin, that Robin was going to leave that team um, and join Apt, and that's what panned out. I, th- I think the way that came about and how it was dealt with was ultimately 
not handled particularly well. I'm not apportioning blame. I mean, it may well be a two-way thing. I don't know. But it, it just broke down, and, and it was pretty frosty between Robin and some aspects of that senior management team as the season wore on. Um, these things do occasionally happen in racing. I'm, I'm sure it's happened to Gary occasionally through throughout his career. It just sometimes, you know, that's, that's the way it goes. Robin's off to a team he knows now intimately through with Act, who he's driven for before in, in, in various championships. I've just got a feeling that if the Mahindra powertrain is decent, then Apt will have that, you know, dark horses written all over them next season with a much happier Robin. But it was a, it was just a case of um a breakdown in in the relationship and, and then Robin leaving the team and um the um the 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 focus shifted um in the season and um they can talk all they want about you know the breaks and you know going the wrong way on setups and things and that sort of dearth of points and i think there was three races with the jakarta marrakesh and berlin where they just they, they weren't there they were also rounds and but ultimately um you know, history will attest that it was the the breakdown of a relationship which had which had delivered so much in the um in in the seasons five, six, and seven. You know, Robin had won races with them and generally always been at the front, and it was just yeah, it was just quite sad to see, really. But racing has that funny uh, way of just moving on, doesn't it, for drivers and teams? Um, what, what, what do you think, Gary? When that happens, you know, not necessarily case study from your career, but even if you see that from competitors, it's it's always difficult, isn't it? Is it just best to move on if if you uh, if you're able to in that situation? I you know I, I think it's every, every individual case is different, and and I I, um, I don't understand why that would have happened with Robin um, this year because you know he was he's he's effectively going back as you say to apps to a team he knows to, it's it's a kind of it feels kind of kind of natural for him to do that. You know, it's not a massive surprise. Um, and, you know, we, we, we had a completely different but similar situation with Stoffel leaving the team. I mean, a lot of our people could have turned around and said, why the hell is he leaving the team that's just won a world championship and is on the route to win a next one? And, you know, what, what, what is he doing? So um, we knew fairly early on that was what was going to happen. But, you know, Stoffel was professional and focused and determined throughout the whole year and so was the team so it's possible with a driver leaving a team um that is common knowledge um to to get the job done still um but it just depends on how the team deals with it and how the driver deals with it so clearly as you say it, it wasn't dealt with very well um within the team and and that's what created this you know breakdown of communication and and just um, this inconsistency in performance, really, because it is possible, even if someone's leaving a team to go somewhere else, it is possible to get the most out of the team and the whole package um, while you're still together. But it just depends on how it's handled, really. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. You see this? 
this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, we got Antonio Felix to cost an eighth with a win, uh, but just one other podium finishes and four no scores. I think we've covered off the issues at Diaz to Cheetah. Um, so we're down to ninth, where we find season seven champion Nick DeVries. Um, Gary, before we talk about his seasons, though, uh, we're going to cross streams. And with apologies to Ed Straw and his F1 pods, uh, that was some F1 debut we made in Monza, wasn't it? It was incredible. Yeah. Um, <sighs> You know, I've worked with Nick now for for the past uh, the past three seasons uh, in Formula E, and, and and we know his 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 good and bad points. But he showed us all of his good points in Monza. It was um, it was it was more than impressive. You know, to to turn up. I mean, okay, the only fortunate thing was that he'd been in the car at Monza the day before, which was quite nice, quite good preparation. But to jump in a completely different car um, and 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 to go and deliver in in qualifying, which kind of Nick's, Nick's quick, you know, we know he's quick to go and do that. But then, but then to deliver what he did in the race, um, was incredible, really was incredible. So he, he, he totally deserves that and he, he deserves a chance, um, to race in formula one. But, you know, I, I, I just think it was, um, astounding what he managed to do just to turn up and do that was incredible. Oh, I was so impressed. I, I thought like you, you know, it, putting a good lap together still to be applauded but yeah. i felt sure that his neck was going to go in the race and he was just going to finish 14th or something yeah. but he kept it together the whole way it was phenomenal yeah it was it, i say it was impressive and i think you saw there was the one um the, the short video clip i've seen of him uh, talking to the guys on the radio when he gets back to park Ferme saying like can someone help me because i can't even lift my arms up so he he was <laughs> gone you know which understandably you would be but you know, it shows his level of determination just to just to finish that race where he did and, and hang on and then, you know, deal with deal with the pain later on. Talking of pain, let's get back to his Formula E season. Obviously, he <laughs> started his uh, title defence in perfect fashion and uh, didn't really go very well after that. What, what happened there? Yeah, I mean, Nick Nick struggled a bit um, this year with in, in the races just with... Mate, he had a bit of bad luck racing with other people, but also there was other times where he just got involved in incidents. And a lot of it was very small contact, you know, very small contact, picked up a puncher here, picked up a five-second penalty there, and and it just damaged him every time he managed to do that. And that was that was my point about Stoffel, was his, his execution. Because this year, you know, season seven, like we said, was um, was a bit of a lottery with the qualifying format. And Nick was fantastic. If he, if he wasn't in, if he was in group three or four, you know, and you had a good track condition, he would go and put it on pole, he would disappear and win the race. Um, then, if he was in group one, okay, you, you might all qualify 15th, 16th, and you'd all go around in a similar position, maybe score a point, but that was it. That's all you needed to do to win a championship. Have a few, you know, three, four highlight events and get the big points, which Nick managed to do, and you won a championship. Whereas this year, you had to, to grind out the results, get the couple of points here and there. And I think that's where he... Sometimes he struggled just to accept the kind of finishing and getting a point or two and, and wanted a bit too much and, and just, like I say, just kind of got in, involved in a few too many incidents. And then, um, you know, he had to, his qualifying pace wasn't 
I would say, quite as impressive as maybe we've seen in season seven. Um, there was events where he was very strong, but then there was events where um, he wasn't quite on it. I think that um, I think the same, you know, similar to, to to Robin. I think I think he got affected by the talk about next season quite a lot, and and I think that that definitely got to him a bit, and and that affected his performance. I feel sometimes. I'll put you on the spot here, but feel free not to answer. He seems to have three options at the moment. Gamble on an Alpine seat, take a, a, a seat at Williams or stay in Formula E in a, in a WEC programme. What would you do? Oh, you'd go to you'd go to F1, whether it be uh, Alpine or, or Williams. It doesn't matter. I mean, you, you, you get a chance to race in F1, you, you grab it with both hands and just take what you, what you can. I mean, obviously, you, you'd love to get the Alpine seat. Uh, if you end up being a Williams seat, both options are better than WEC and Formula E. You can come back and do that at a later date. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, Sam, rounding out the top 10, Pascal Verline, he scored that key maiden win for Porsche, but oh my word, the rest of the season uh, left a lot to be desired. Yeah, that was the highlight, wasn't it? Mexico domination, and then after that, everyone thought, here we are, Porsche have arrived, and um, it was a false dawn. I, um, they, they maintained in some races that, that they had a quick package and that they were there or thereabouts, but um, I mean, it was just... Yeah, I mean, it was complete. They self-destructed. It was complete self-destruction from Marrakesh onwards. A, a litany of issues and problems and uh, penalties and incidents. And yeah, I, I did a piece on Pascal Verline. I think I did it just before London, and he had lost over up until then. He'd lost sixty-seven points, and the vast majority, if not all of those points, were through team errors or or problems now you add those 67 points into what onto what he had pre-london you know i think he would have been fifth in the championship and not far from that that gang of four at the front so lots of promise lots of potential but we've been here before haven't we with with porsche so yeah you know it doesn't need me telling them how, how how abject it was in that that second half of the season they they know and i um you know, I sp- I've spoken to senior team members, and it's written all over their faces. It's it's not good enough, and they have to they have to improve. I think on the on the positive side, as I said before, you know, the Gen Three. I've just got a feeling that in Gen Three we're going to see the best of Porsche, and um, and then they just have to they have to deliver on on this program. That's when they have to deliver next season, and they've got to do it from the very first race. You know, there's there's going to be very little. Uh, patience at uh, at both team and board level. More importantly, if um, if they're not contenders next season, but yeah, twenty twenty two essentially a write off. They got the headlines at Mexico, but but that was it. You know, there was very, there really wasn't anything else to take away from it. And the worst element is that sort of self destructive element. So um, yeah, not a good one. But like I say, there's um, there's light at the end of the tunnel for them. And proof, if ever it was needed, that you can have all the budget, but that doesn't guarantee success. So, um, outside the top ten, Nick Cassidy took his first win and eleventh in points. Um, given Envision's uh, mid-season troubles, not a, not a bad effort, Sam. Yeah, I thought I thought Nick had a really good season. Actually, um, it, it looked a bit nightmarish at the start. I think he only had, what do you have? I think he got like ten points from the first six races i think that's pretty accurate and um and then it all clicked at, at new york for him i mean we know he's quick um he's he's a super um diligent 
racing driver you know he's 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 got this um he's a happy-go-lucky guy and he's he's great fun um but he's a proper pro you know he's a he's a real professional um driver when you when you uh, dig down into it um new york he was just unbeatable i mean completely unbeatable he 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 has that ability um you know he's a sleeping giant it's like when he's awoken and i, I don't mean that against him i just mean when everything's right he he is unbeatable i can't overemphasize just how good he was in new york he was on another plane completely i mean he he, he was almost unbeatable as i said in fact the only thing that beat him was an act of god wasn't it with that ridiculous <laughs> isolated rain shower a localized rain shower shall i say that's the only thing that beat him i'm convinced he would have won the next day, when you look at, even though the, his car was rebuilt for the next day, as was Gary's, of course, with, with Stoffel's car, you know, he, he started from the back and then got that, you know, succession of penalties, had a drive through, whatever, I think. And he came back through his pace. And it was not really noted at the time. His pace in that race was utterly phenomenal. Um, he would have, I'm convinced he would have won that event, uh, which would have been a double. Um, didn't go on to a, to get near that level um, in subsequent races in those two races afterwards. But he wasn't, you know, he, he was a threat. Um, and I just think when it clicks for him, um, and with Jaguar power, he's got every opportunity to do that. He's one of those drivers I put in with Jake Dennis, certainly, and potentially Verline and, you know, DaCosta when he's at Porsche next season, that, that just, if it's right, they will deliver. So, uh, yeah, everyone's been warned. Gary, anyone else outside the top 10 that caught your eye? Uh, well, <sighs> In in a positive or negative way, we task. I mean, it was, either or. This is this, you you define the term. Um, <laughs> so I think um, well, it's natural. And down in P thirteen, you know, Sam Bird definitely had a, a, a bit of an off season uh, com- compared to Mitch. Um, and you know, he's been a he's a seasoned seasoned pro uh, race winner every every year in FE. So he certainly will be disappointed with 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 his season. Um, uh, but below that, you know. Um, I mean, Nissan. Nissan had a, an, an awful, awful season. You know, they were really um, not competitive for the whole year, and, and and really struggled, and they were very much down the back of the field. So that was uh, again a surprise, um, and certainly for for Oliver and um, for, sorry for for Bramey, that was um, that was a real struggle. I think. Um, I think again another one of them drivers that's super experienced, um, super experienced, and you know been here a long time to have a season like that and finish down in 15th must have been uh pretty pretty demotivating really on the more positive side you know um i mean oliver askew had a bit of a mountain to climb coming in against um against jake dennis um but he had um he had a couple of really fantastic results to be honest towards the end of the year um again a pretty inconsistent still but certainly a couple of real highlights um, and showed what showed what he was made of. Um, it's, it's a tough series for a rookie, though, isn't it? It's very tough. It's very tough, and especially you know if you you, you come in up against someone like like Jake that really is, is has been sensational in that car the past two seasons. It's um it's it, it was a big ask, um, and it took it took him a long time to find his feet. But then you know he was able to show uh, show what he can do later on in the season. Um, you know, beyond that, further down, I mean, Maxi Gunther again with being with Sebastian, just a, a torrid season, pretty miserable season for them um, in in general. Um, 
apart from that, further down, yeah, um, Sete Kamara. I mean, again, really, really some really fantastic pace and, and, and some really good performances in that car. So he, I think, showed showed what he's capable of, which which seems like to be a lot. And I think he's I think he's going to have a good future in, in Formula E. I'm glad you mentioned him because he was on my list as well. I yeah. th- he's fantastic to watch. Yeah. He's so flamboyant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he, he hit the wall quite hard a couple of times as well. But uh, but no, he's he's certainly got really good pace. Some of his qualifying performances were were really up there with with the best. And um, and you know, just struggled in the races because their package just wasn't great in races. So it wasn't efficient, and and they couldn't get the results, couldn't score the points. But you know, he had a lot of really fantastic qualifying performances. And Sam, just before we were recording this, um, we had the news broke that he's joining Neo for next season. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, did a deal. I think just before Seoul, so he uh, he hopped on the uh, he hopped on the the, the uh, merry-go-round quickly before all the seats were taken. So we, you know, we think there's um, I think there's probably only a couple of seats remaining now. Um, obviously, Gary can fill us in on one of them in a moment, but um, the other <laughs> the other one is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe two, actually, because you know the presumption is that Maserati will, uh, although they've not confirmed Nick De Vries, we we believe that there is an agreement there. So Maserati have got to scramble for a plan B. But uh, yeah, Sete Cameras I think deserves a um, to remain on the grid, and it will be interesting to see what what Neo uh, what Neo can work up for Gen Three. Will one of Maserati's plan B be uh, Giovinazzi, who obviously came in from Formula One with a bit of fanfare and and then did almost nothing? Possibly, yeah. I mean, when when you look at the experienced drivers that are left um, without seats, um, you're looking at Max Gunter, Oliver Turvey, probably, potentially Dan Tictum, although we, we think he'll probably stay at Neo, uh, and, and Giovinazzi. And, I, you know, I think a, a lot of people gave Giovinazzi the benefit of the doubt for, for most of the season in relation to who he was driving for, the fixed homologation, the fact he was coming in during the last season of a rule set, etc. The, the thing that always baffled me was, was firstly, why he took the seat. You know, what, what, why would you join Dragon uh, after being in Formula One? Is it a stopgap or was it a, a rung on the ladder, potentially looking ahead to DS or Maserati within the Stellantis group for a, for a more competitive seat the season after? As it turned out, you know, Penske are going to uh, partner with DS. So actually, that's a competitive proposition. But, you know, it's not been confirmed yet, but Stoffel van Dorn will be one of those drivers for next season with John eric Verne. So there's no way in for Giovinazzi there. Then it became obvious on the track that he just, you know, really wasn't capable of beating his own teammate, the, the aforementioned uh, Sete Kammer in, in qualifying. Even when they went to new tracks, he was a good chunk away from his teammate. So then you think, well, okay, at least show us something, anything that that shows us you can dig deep and deliver. Um, You know, he's been paid a lot of money to to do this season of Formula E. Um, Lo and behold, he does. You know, he goes out of London and qualifies third. Fantastic. You know, the real Giovinazzi's turned up. Great. Some momentum. Let's 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 head now to to the race. And to be fair to him, he got. You know, decent first 10 minutes, then the inevitable power spike, you know, that ruined his race and he got a penalty for hitting the Costa, got messy. But at least he's got some momentum there. And you think, okay, let's go to Seoul, another track, another track that's new to everybody. So he can, you know, he can he can finish with a flourish. Well, you know, whatever the opposite of finishing with a flourish is, then Giovinazzi at Seoul was it, tenfold. He, he, he didn't, you know, he didn't race in the final 
blast because he, he had a bruised thumb. He, he got signed off by the FIA medical delegate because of that, and he sat the last race out. Not only that, but he wasn't particularly helpful to the person sitting in for him, Sasha Fenestras, according to people in the team. Um, and then he refuses to speak to any media. It, it just wasn't good enough. And, and certainly in former circles, I think he's lost whatever respect he thought he may have had in that paddock. Um, but seemingly he doesn't care because he's chasing an F1 seat again. And personally, I find it astonishing considering his abject season in 2022 and particularly the ending of it and the way that that insipid end of it. And I just, I, I, you know, this is personal opinion. I just don't like that obnoxious view of, well, it's only Formula E. I'll get a test in F1 car and maybe I'll get a seat in F1 again. And, you know, it's just, it's just highly unimpressive to me. I, I thought we'd seen, I thought we'd seen a driver who could, you know, really dig deep and, and, and show something, but it just never arrived. Or if it did, it was a flash at London. And as I said, it just, you know, it just frittered away. So, yeah, they may seem like strong words, but. Speaking to people in the team, they're words that are echoed within his own team to some extent. So, yeah, I think one to uh, put politely a one to forget for for his career. I think. Well, there you go. You made your point there, Sam. <laughs> Nothing to add. <laughs> Well, that's what you pay me for. <laughs> no, I, wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't going for that. <laughs> right, we're just going to finish off the uh, last little bit of the show with uh, changing the tone ever so slightly. Um, well, Sam, given that you've already done this, we'll, we'll, we'll put you first and then Gary can think about it and I can see if I can come up with something controversial too. <laughs> what, were, what were your top three drivers of the season? <laughs> uh, in third place. Um, yeah, third place, Edo Mortara. I thought he had a great season. You know, we've talked about that. I thought he was—he was the best he's ever been in Formula E. So fair play to him. Uh, you know, London apart, I thought, you know, really strong season. Uh, in second place, it's uh, Mitch. No, uh, no, sorry, Stoffel, Stoffel Van Dorn in in a in such a close second. And yeah, you know, Mitch Evans in first. We don't need to revisit old uh, old arguments there, do we? No, we're just going to pass to Gary so he can uh, set the record straight with his top three. <laughs> yeah, so the correct top three. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, so, for, for me, I'll start at the top. For me, number one is Stoffel. Um, pretty pretty clear. I mean, he was he was, uh, he was was the man to beat um, whenever the car was the car was good enough. Um, for me, second place was tighter. If if Edo had actually delivered in London, he would have been second or maybe even first if he'd won the championship. Um, so for me, it was Stoffel, uh, then Mitch Evans, and then Edo Mortara just because he um, forgot to turn up. He sent an imposter to London to drive the car instead of turning up himself. Yeah, I mean, I can't really argue with that, but I uh, just to, so they're not all completely identical, I am going to put Edo second and Mitch third. So Stoffel, Edo, Mitch. But I think those three were significantly ahead of the rest. It was, it was, I was trying to think if, I, if there was anyone I could justify putting in that mix, and there, and there just wasn't. Now, fourth, I mean, there's about six drivers I could have put fourth, but those three were head and shoulders in the top. I, so I only, I only have one for fourth, actually. Oh, go on. If you want to do it, fourth place, I think is more interesting, actually. So fourth, fourth place, I, I think, um, I, I think Jake Dennis deserves fourth place. I think he um, didn't have a great period in the middle, but I think just for some of the performances he put in, I thought Jake, Jake deserves fourth place. 
Who did you have fourth in your list, Sam? I completely agree with Gary. Yeah, I had uh, I had Jake Dennis just ahead of Vern because I thought, you know, like Gary said, you know, with with the changes in the team there and the fact that BMW had uh, weren't you know supporting them as they had before, I thought thought he had a really good season. So yeah, agree on Jake Dennis for fourth. Oh, okay, I got I would Lucas fourth. So there we go. We can have some uh, disagreement. Um, Sam, best race of the year. Um, yeah, I mean, you rarely get duds in Formula Formula E. I mean, the soul, the first soul one, that was, soul that was, one was a bit, <laughs> was a bit turgid. Um, I'm going to go with Jakarta. I thought Jakarta was just, you know, an, a, a sort of um, no holes barred fight between um, Vern Evans and uh, and Moltara. I, I, I just, yeah, that was that that was great. Monaco was really good, but um, yeah, a few others. But J- Jakarta just stands out. Has been the one where it was just you know a proper race and, and a nicely executed one from uh, from Evans and Jag. Uh, Gary, your best race of the year? Uh, I think my best race of the year. I think um, not an overall team result, but Monaco for 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 the team for Stoffel and the team to win at Monaco was was really special as it always is to win a Monaco. So that for me was uh, about uh, the first race in Diria was fantastic to get a one, two, obviously that was, uh, you know, incredible, but to win a Monaco is always, always special. Um, I'm, I'm avoiding the, the fact of, you know, the last race of the year winning the championship though, but that's what it is. I think for a one-off, just a race um, based on the race result, Monaco was special. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm with you, Sam. I thought Jakarta was, uh, an amazing event and way better than I was predicting but I'm going to go with the first race at Rome uh, I love that place I think it's a great track and I thought the calculated way in which uh, Mitch came through to win that one was uh, superb uh, and finally uh, the worst slash most forgettable moment we'll start with you on this one Gary when, when you uh, when you come back to look at this season what's the bit that you're not going to consciously recall Oh, there's so honestly there's when you, when you, when you have a season like this when there's so many small things that happen during the year that you're disappointed with or you 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 think oh we should have done this better should have done that better but the, for for me the worst moment um was very early on was was actually in Mexico the last lap when Degrassi nearly took both of our cars out and and took stuff out i mean that for me was like you know at, at the time we 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 continued this great relationship we had with Venturi and and Lucas comes in and takes nearly two of our cars out and you think, what are we doing? You know, so that was for me the, the most forgettable and the worst moment of the year, although it was very early on. Sam? Uh, yeah, well, personally, it was getting tr- literally trapped in a taxi in Seoul. I couldn't get out because my cagoule was caught in the door and I couldn't figure out why. <laughs> and then, then, I, then I left my phone in the taxi and it drove off with my phone. <laughs> Uh, in a, in an absolute, absolute comedy debacle i did get my phone back eventually but it was a yeah it was a it was a great day international incident for about 20 minutes um no it, it, that did happen but the more from a more professional point of view i would say that yeah the new york um yeah. the monsoon and, and not restarting the race i've never quite got my head around why that race wasn't restarted and um you know Gar- gary would have been pleased that it wasn't but i think yeah still struggling to understand that one and and that just seemed like a a bit of a bit of an odd one to be honest with you that's never really been it was an odd end to the race that's for sure yeah um, for me, because obviously I experienced formerly in a very different way and uh, it remains a, a, an age-old bugbear, and that's 
the difficulty in finding it on TV, and particularly I went on holiday over the London weekend and uh, I didn't set the recorder, but I thought when I come back, I'll find, a, I'll find the full races somewhere online. I'll be able to watch them. Not a hope in hell. Um, and I still can't believe eight seasons in that the, because uh, the actual quality of the coverage itself is amazing, um, but the way in which the series is broadcast it remains at such a sort of amateurish level. Did you try CFAX? Uh, yeah, I was on page 360 and there was there was nothing there. <laughs> wow, that brings back memories, that does. I've not heard CFAX for so long. We'll get next season we'll get Simon Taylor to do uh you know, you can ring up a number and get Simon Taylor to tell you what what happened. Honestly, no, no I was almost desperate enough to do that, but not quite. Um <laughs> Right, finally, the doubleheader in Seoul was the final race for the Gen 2 car. I think it's fair to say that it was an incredibly important and significant development for Formula e in terms of its performance and perception. Um, given that we've got a long off-season, Sam, I think we're going to do some looking back at the Gen 2 era podcast. But overall, what do you think motorsport historians will make of that car? I think it will be looked back very favourably because it was different um it produced some fantastic racing it produced a controversy it generally produced the right winner per season i think um ultimately even though there were different sporting regulations i think it showcased what formula e is all about in terms of the advancement of of um, electric electric mobility and just how cool um ev racing can be um, you know, the significant part of it was racing the full track at Monaco, and that provided a probably one of the best three Formula E races of all time. Um, yeah, I, I, I've got nothing really, you know, I'm struggling to find an aspect. I suppose the only aspect of it which was a bit infuriating was the um tactical contact that that happened in various stages of of the gen three uh, gen two rule set you know there were some drivers who exploited that and just became uh overtly dirty uh and it wasn't always penalized which was a shame but uh i would say pretty much everything else it's just been just been a pleasure to see those cars i'm really going to miss them because they just look so cool they look fantastic you know yeah, i agree my daughter's nine years old and she went to london for her first epre in a few months ago and uh, she got a little toy car a little um, model and she you know she's playing with it all the time and she just thinks it looks mega she just thinks it looks like a spaceship and that's what it's about isn't it it's about engaging the next generations into something really cool um so yeah we'll we'll see what gen 3 brings it's going to take a while to get used to those cars that's for sure but yeah looking back at gen 2 um a really a really important uh epoch of of racing uh, i think in in motorsport generally gary anything to add it's probably not on the list of the greatest racing cars you've ever drove but uh, anything else to add uh, no i mean you know uh, for, for, for me um I, I certainly found driving uh, a dtm car an f1 car a lot more rewarding in terms of the amount of grip and downforce and things you have but it's um it's completely different i think that's what um certainly when i started in formula e um and, and you have to make it clear to other people you you can't directly compare it to f1 uh, to something else it's, it's so different you know as a championship and as a car um and what we're doing but yeah as sam said that the, the stepping technology from from gen one to gen two um was was huge and and to go from 
um, you know, having to do a pit stop halfway through after 20 minutes to change to another car because the battery would, would run out, things like that. You know, to, to go to a, which seems strange now, a car that can last a whole race sort of thing. Um, but it, it makes a huge difference. And by the end of it, the cars were really competitive. I mean, they were, they were quick. You look at the, the speed that they're doing on some of the street circuits. They were, they were quick cars. Um, the, the step in the technology with regards to the braking compared to Gen 1 was huge. Um, the cars, the Gen 1 cars were very awkward with the braking, very horrible, not very nice to drive. And although, you know, including our drivers, everyone complained about the brakes for the Gen 2 car, and maybe there was some improvements they could make, that the systems were so much more advanced and so much um, so much better than the Gen 1 car that it was it was a massive step forward. And... Yeah, you look at what we're doing in Gen 3 now, the steps we're trying to make. I think it's not easy, really, to, to, to improve um, in, in huge steps like this was over, over the Gen 1 car. So I think, as, as Sam rightly said as well, it's a great-looking car. You know, you can, you can say about the contact and, and the tactical contact and things like this, but with the way Formula E circuits are, you need something that's a bit robust because if you have something that's so fragile like an F1 car or something else, you're never going to overtake. You know, people will cover the line. You'll never overtake. There has to be a little bit of contact and, and the cars need to be a little bit robust so you can actually go wheel to wheel and make passes. So in terms of that, I think the car was 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 fantastic. Um, you know, you could go wheel to wheel. You could make contact. I mean, the worst thing about the car was just what normal race cars are, was is, I mean, the, the valves, the wheel valves that you would just catch on a bit of bodywork and it would tear it out and you'd get a puncture, you'd lose pressure. Now, that was frustrating when that happened. But otherwise, they, they created some fantastic racing, um, really good wheel-to-wheel racing. Very well said. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Right, finally, uh, just before the end, Sam, we talked about Sete Camera getting the Neo uh, drive. Any other Formula E news we need to cover off? Yeah, I think the, the the big news really is that there's been a, a two-day test at Verano in Italy um, this week, um, mid-September, uh, which I think has been described as important and if not critical potentially because there there appears to be a, an issue with the spec um battery that's going to be used for for gen 3 um details of it are, are not that forthcoming but it's been enough to curtail some tests of the manufacturers in recent weeks particularly porsche i know have, have had a couple of days that have been stopped because of an issue with the with the battery so that that was one of the the prime focuses of that test and and within that test we saw some new names some new helmets in in new cars um antonio felix da costa got in a porsche for the first time stoffel van dorn although still yet to be confirmed with the uh, the presumed DS Penske Alliance uh, was in the car last Tuesday. Uh, Sebastian Buemi flew direct from Fuji after winning the, the six hours of Fuji in the WEC race there to test for Jaguar because he's going to be racing for, he'll be announced at Envision next month in October. So he was getting his first taste of Gen 3 via Jaguar, who are supplying uh, cars to Envision for next season for the first first couple of years of, of the Gen 3, at least. Um, Sergio Sete Camera was in the car. Uh, we had the new Nissan drivers out for a day each, Sasha Fenestras and, and Norman Nato. Um, and we also had Mahindra with, with Lucas de Grassi, who got, he, he did a film day beforehand at RAF Abingdon, but it was his first proper test on a circuit. So some some of the recharging equipment, the, the fast charging was used during um, during the days as well, which is going to be interesting. It's going to formulate part of the sporting 
structure, the supporting fabric of Gen 3, which should be announced at the next World Motorsport Council in October. So, yeah, busy week for, for the teams. Um, and they've got more. I don't think, honestly don't think there's going to be a, a day or an hour to spare between now and the Valencia test in December. It's um, Everything's going to be super late, so it's going to be interesting to see how things pan out from that perspective of how teams are going to going to be uh, in, in what shape they're going to be in heading to Mexico which the cars are presumably will be shipped directly from from Valencia for that mid January start that apart uh, a couple of changes personnel changes we um the, the surprise um announcement that Dilbag Gill is leaving Mahindra which um we we only know as of as an unplanned change there at Mahindra so there's going to be a new team principal it's going to be a bit strange not having Dilbag in the paddock, he's been there since. It's not going to be one. Lucas, is it? Driver team principal. Well, I think that's probably a bit too much to, for even Lucas to, uh, to 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 take on, isn't it? But I, I think in the future, Lucas is a a future team principal in waiting, isn't he? Or, or part of the management at, at least, certainly in Formula It's probably too early for that at the moment. And and Jerome D'Ambrosio was announced today that Jerome is uh, is going to pursue other other projects in racing. I spoke to him briefly. And uh, yeah, he's onto pastures new, so there will be a new uh, team principal at the Maserati MSG uh, outfit, which is going to be quite exciting to see how they're going to be shaped. Uh, not least for that uh, presumed replacement for Nick De Vries, which we touched on earlier. So yeah, lots of news and um, and, and and points of interest to come. So uh, yeah, obviously you know you know where to come and uh, read all about it on the hyphenrace dot com. Thank you, Sam. So before we go, Gary, just uh, you know, obviously a while before season nine starts in earnest. So what will you be doing? Uh, watching uh, Arsenal's attempt to uh, wrest the title away from Man City, or what have you got planned? Yeah, I'm just going to sit on the sofa and watch football for the next three months. No, so yeah, as, as Sam said, there's loads to do. Um, you know, not being a manufacturer, we're, we're not out. Um, actually doing any testing ourselves but we're getting some information from 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 nissan starting that relationship with nissan and and alpine trying to get ourselves as prepared as we can um obviously the team is is moving premises from mercedes obviously changing over from mercedes to mclaren to neon mclaren so there's a lot of change there most uh, most personnel are going to be the same which is which is nice but obviously new premises uh a lot of stuff to sort out team stuff boring stuff you know pit equipment gantries garage stuff you know there's lots of lots of stuff that needs to be sorted uh before the start of the season so it's um yeah it's there's no no rest for the wicked and it's going to be uh busy all the way up until valencia and then busy again all the way up until mexico so um yeah it's uh, exciting though good good uh good good times and it's good to be busy so yeah, well, we wish you all the best with that. I think well, they, the the two most stressful things are changing jobs and moving house. So, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll we'll wish you all the very best with that. Thank you both so much uh, for today. Uh, as ever, keep an eye out on the hyphenrace dot com for the latest Formula E news from Sam. But you can now do that via that. So, if you uh, look in the episode information, you'll see the links for the iOS and Android versions. But if you just want to search for it. Search for the Race Media app and uh, you should be able to find it that way so uh, thank you very much don't forget to check out our other podcasts on f1 MotoGP, and indycar where we've got a great interview with the new champ will power thank you very much and goodbye the athletic